excited to preach this morning because we are, we're kicking off a new series, but before we dive into that series intro, let me ask you a question. Um, Have you ever felt lost? And I don't mean like, you know, I was in the grocery store and I turned around and mom wasn't there. And I, I mean, I mean, like, have you ever felt like lost, like disconnected from family members? Maybe you felt alone, maybe you find yourself at a place where you don't really know how you got here. Feels like the world's caving in and crashing in. That kind of lost, disconnected. Have you ever felt that way? There's been a few times in my life where I have felt disconnected, where I felt lost, where I felt like what I was saying, what I believed, wasn't lining up with what I was doing, and my life wasn't what I thought it was supposed to be. If that's you, if you've ever kind of found yourself in that place where you feel kind of lost, maybe wandering, trying to figure out what's going on, I'm glad you're here this morning because we're starting a new series called Sin, What Is It Really? And during this uh, sermon series, we're going to talk about sin. Now, sin's a big churchy word that we use a lot. Um, We use it sometimes, unfortunately, to judge one another. It's kind of this generic coverall word that we use, but it's an important word. Sin keeps us from experiencing God to the fullest. Sin keeps us from experiencing the fullness of relationship in a way that probably didn't strike me till a few years ago when I was reading some uh, Eastern Orthodox stuff. Sin keeps us from being fully human. Ever think about it that way? Sin keeps us from being human. Jesus was the perfect human without sin. Sin keeps us from being what we are called to be. And at Rooftop, we know that God responds to sin with the gospel. And if we want to be a people who understand the gospel in such a way that it changes our lives, and not just changes our lives, but we want to go out and proclaim it to every creature, we have to understand, well, what is sin? What is brokenness? How can we, with God's help, overcome it? So for the next 12 weeks, we're going to talk about sin. And here's how we're going to talk about it. Sin is not defined in the Bible. I don't know if you've read your Bible lately, but it's not an encyclopedia. It's not a dictionary. You don't flip it open and go, okay, S, all right, S-I-N, all right, there's sin. God, what's the definition? Okay, now that's not how the Bible works. It doesn't give a clear, concise definition of sin, but what it does is it describes sin. It uses all kind of imagery to talk about it. And we're going to look at 12 different ways sin is portrayed in the Bible. So we're going to learn that the Bible describes sin as foolishness or debt or infection or bondage or lawlessness. The Bible also talks about sin in the way we're going to talk about this morning as wandering, or another way the Bible might say it as going astray. But what does it mean to wonder? What, is, what does it mean to go astray? What does that sin mean? What does it look like? To do that, I want to tell a story. I want to talk about the story God is writing in the Bible And how sin, and specifically wondering, plays into it. you ever thought about this? The Bible is two-thirds narrative. Now, we live in a post 
uh, enlightenment world where we like facts and definitions and data and uh, truth statements. But the Bible isn't written that way. It's written as narrative. Yes, there are letters in there. Yes, sir. It's not just narrative. But there's a reason why that. Because I think we learn best through story. We take in information better in a story form. That to go astray, to wonder, that has a location feel to it, right? It has a location. Wondering, to kind of go off in a wrong direction. To go astray means to kind of not go where you're headed, to go off somewhere else. And this is a theme in the Bible that gets repeated over and over and over and over. Wandering, going astray, missing it. And it happens a lot with the people of God. You see, there's always been a people of God on the earth. Men and women who worship God and live according to his ways. In the Old Testament, it started as a couple, then it grew into a family, and then that family grew into a nation, and then that nation, or then it eventually grew into a worldwide family that we are currently a part of. But one thing that we notice about this family in the beginning of the Bible is that they're always on a journey. They're always moving. They're always going towards something. In Genesis, right, if you are familiar, you know, Adam and Eve, uh, due to some mistakes, they're leaving the garden. Cain is sent to wander. He's sent to go out east of Eden. Abraham's going to a promised land. They go down to Egypt after that. And then in Exodus, they're leaving Egypt, going back to the promised land. And then they get in the promised land and guess what? Sin wrecks things. And then they go to the exile. And then eventually they come back through the exile or come back from exile. They're always traveling. And as they're traveling, they're realizing something. They're realizing the brokenness of the world around them. In fact, part of a lot of the wandering and traveling is to overcome this brokenness. And what God is telling them in their travels and what they recognize is that this entire world is broken because of sin. One of the easiest ways I found to talk to somebody about Jesus is this. Do you think the world is in a good place right now? Do you think everything just feels right 95% of people will say, no, it seems like there's something broken. They can't, maybe they can't put a, a finger on it. Maybe they can't explain it, but there's a sense that it's just not right. And what the people of God would realize is that sin had infected the very ground they walked on. It had broken their relationships. Is it hard to be in a relationship with anyone? Yes, The family realized that as they were traveling. And then they realized that sin had even broken them as people. They were divided and fractured even in themselves. But as they traveled and as they encountered all this brokenness, God was with them. He was traveling with them and he was telling them, we're going to change this world. We're going to overcome all of this brokenness. God is always traveling with his people. And as I was thinking about this, I thought about my grandfather. I don't know if any of you have ever learned how to drive, um, but my grandfather would, he taught me. 
He took me on the back roads of Soddy Daisy, Tennessee, the booming metropolis that it was, and he would teach me how to drive. Pro tip, it's much easier and much more relaxing for your grandparents to teach you how to drive than your parents. Um, but we would get in the car, and he would sit next to me, and we would just drive down all these backcountry roads where you know, we would duck hunt from time to time. And, and he would just talk to me about, hey, be careful when you see this sign. All right, you're drifting a little bit here. Kind of pull over, you know, get back on here a little bit. Hey, if it's, if it's raining and it's hard to see, you got these reflectors, or you can look down and see the side, the yellow line. He was just a calming presence next to me, talking to me, helping me navigate as I'm making my way. And in a lot of ways, that's what God was doing to this family as they were traveling. He was teaching them how to live life, teaching them how to worship, how to care for people around them. But he was also doing something else. He was also warning them. Remember, sin abounded everywhere. And, and he would talk to them and help them understand where they could go, where they couldn't go, where the dangers were. But they didn't always listen. Sometimes they found themselves wondering. They found themselves off course, off track. Listen to how God described the people of God in the book of Psalms. The 95th Psalm, chapter 10, or verse 10 says this. They are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not regard my ways. They kept going astray in their hearts. What does that mean? To go astray in their hearts. Heart is a hard word for us because we're more mental creatures. Hearts are feelings. Hearts are emotions. They kept going away in the core of who they were. God had kind of become background noise, I think is a good way to put it. Have you ever experienced this? You're, you're driving. I experience this sometimes when I'm listening to a podcast or my daughter's in the back seat talking to me. I got to see the turn, you know, although the machine like tells you where to turn, shows you where to turn, I still sometimes miss the turn, right? So you miss the turn and then the machine just starts talking and going crazy, right? Rerouting, turn left up here. And you're like, uh, no, 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 I think I can go up here. Well, if you're like me, you're stubborn. You think, no, I can go up here, I can turn, I could just come back. And the machine just keeps telling you like, rerouting, turn, turn. And eventually you do what? You just turn the machine off, right? This is just, I can't handle this anymore. And you flip it off. So what? kind of what was going on. God was talking with his people, telling them, and they just, okay, we've heard it enough. I want to go somewhere else. I can figure this out. Now, why would they do that? Sometimes the wandering was the result of deception, right? God's traveling with them. Sometimes they just were tricked. They just didn't understand what was going on. In Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 19, God describes the traveling people this way. He says, They shall fling their silver into the streets. Their gold shall be treated as unclean. Their silver and gold cannot save them on the day of the, Lord, of the wrath of the Lord. They, sh they shall not satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it. For it was a stumbling block of their iniquity. What's God saying? Silver and gold are not necessarily bad things. They're not. Inherently, they are not bad. 
but they make really bad gods. They really can't satisfy you the way God would satisfy. So the people are traveling. There's, the Bible says a lot about money, who to give it to, how to avoid it, or how to avoid falling into this trap. And they kept stumbling into it. Money seemed to keep replacing God in their life. Now, they didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, silver and gold makes a better God than God, so we're just going to do it. No, it was a slow pull away. But sometimes it was just a legitimate, straight up, I don't want to do this. Daniel chapter 9, verse 11 says, All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. Sometimes they just wanted to do it their way. I think of a time where God came to his people and they said, God, we want to be like all the other cultures. We want a king. And God came to them and said, you do not want a king. And they, instead of relying and trusting in God, said, well, God, all the nations around us have a king. We kind of just want to be like everybody else. Can you give us a king? God said, you don't want to do this. And they said, well, no, we do. So give it to us. This is a repeat thing that just kept happening to the people of God. As they traveled, as they went along their way, they would find themselves wandering off, going astray. Now, I tell you all this because uh, if you haven't put the pieces together yet, you are the people of God. Those are not just distant figures in some faraway culture that has nothing to do with you. That's your family story. And God is continuing to write that story. We are continuing on a journey with God as individuals and as a people. There's some differences. We're not going to a place. We're going to a, a person. We're going towards Jesus. We're becoming more like him. We're inheriting the entire earth now. And, but just like then, just like now, God is traveling with us. The Old Testament, it was in the tabernacle, and the Ark of the Covenant. Then there was a moment where Jesus was here on earth. Now we're traveling with God via the Holy Spirit and his people. And we're on a journey. And just like back then, he is talking to us. He is leading us, showing us, hey, here's where you find life. Hey, here's where you're going to find death. Listen to what James says. Very similar. James chapter 5, verse 19 says, My brothers and sisters, if any among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you shall know that whoever brings back a sinner from their wandering will save a sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Actually, in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, he quotes Psalm 95 and he he shows the parallels that we are just like those people on a journey. And just like them, we're tempted to harden our hearts and turn away from God and not listen to him. That's what sin does. That's what sin does. Sin causes us to wander away. Sometimes it's 
passive where we are walking through the world and we're, we're seeing things and we don't realize it's not really what we think it's going to be and we kind of wander off and we find ourselves in a place. In other places, we're on our journey, we're walking and we say, you know what, I know the truth, but this looks really appeasing right now, so I'm out of here. Now, the hard thing about this is that for most of us, we like to live in a very black and white world where we say, well, it's either this or that, right? But the reality is inside of each and every one of us, there are probably areas where you sit and hear my voice and you say, you know what? I feel like Jesus is really leading me in the way of life in this area. You know what? I, I'm, man, I, I, I got my good rhythms. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. But if I'm honest, there's like another area in my life where it feels like it's pulling me away. That's what sin does. It makes us feel scattered and split inside of our very selves. And I remember a time in my life where I was really bad at relationships. I hope I'm better than I was. Um, I'm married, so I I think that solved some of it. But, But I was really bad at relationships. I would date and get close to someone, and then start lying to them. Would never really want to commit. Would never really want to show who I really was. I was scared. I was frightened. It just was a pattern in my life. Just sin and brokenness inside of relationships. Over and over and over. And it wasn't until there was a moment of facing it and realizing it And coming to some realizations about myself that, you know what, in this area of my life, I do not listen to Jesus. In this area of my life, because of broken things that have happened to me in the past, and because of my own selfish decisions, this has really broken me. And I do not honor and follow Jesus in this area. I think that's a pretty common experience for people. But the most important part of life, of wondering, of brokenness, of the journey that we're on is, how does God respond to our wondering? How does God respond when I come to the realization that I have gone astray? How does God respond when he sees his people wandering into unhealthy or areas that will ultimately cause death in their life? Well, uh, this is what the Bible didn't do. The Bible didn't say, all right, turn to chapter eight and I'm going to give you a paper on what God does when people go. No, he gave them a story. He told them three different parables in Luke 15. And you could sum up God's response to wondering with three words. He seeks, he saves, and he celebrates. Look at verse 4. Luke 15, verse 4. Jesus tells a story. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Okay, now here's the part of the sermon where I, can, I get to preach a little bit here. Jesus, Jesus loves to find lost sheep. Can you sit in that for a moment? God 
loves to go after what's lost. He's a God of action. He looks down on our wondering and he says, I'm going after that person. The shepherd in the story doesn't say, well, you know what? I got 99. That's pretty good. I still got Pastor Schuyler, Pastor Matt. That's a pretty good crew. If I lose one, that's no big deal. No. He says, I'm going after that one. There's no passive attitude with God. That's one thing I think I've grown the most in as I've become a pastor. God is not passive. He's not waiting. He's not sitting around to see, well, what are they going to do? No, he goes, he seeks that which is lost. God doesn't do what we do. God doesn't say, good grief. How many times do I have to tell that person? Golly, you know what? I'm just going to hang back. And I want to see what they do. He doesn't do that. He goes after them. Now, what does that mean? That means perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you think, man, no one cares about me. You know, I tried to get a meeting with Pastor Jeremy and he didn't even respond to my email. He doesn't care about me. No one cares. No one. If I left here tomorrow, no one would care. That's not true. God is seeking you right now in this moment. Perhaps there's people in your life who make you feel that way, that you're not important, that you're not worth being pursued or sought after. God is seeking after you. You're worthy of being sought after. Maybe you've forgotten his ways. Maybe you don't acknowledge them. Maybe you don't care. He's going after you. But he doesn't just go after you just to go after you. He doesn't just go after you just to kind of be near and watch the train wreck. In verse 5, it says this, and when he finds it, listen to these words, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Think about that. What a beautiful image. He finds, I just picture in my head, a sheep, maybe in a briar bush, tangled up, broken, hurting, and he finds it, and he picks it up, and he puts it on his shoulders. And he joyfully does that. I think sometimes we think God just has to do things, right? We're like, well, I repent, so I guess he has to do it, right? (laughs) I did the thing. No, he joyfully goes after those who wander. And I'm going to continue to uh, berate myself here. Um, I'm not as good as God in this area. Um, Sometimes when I'm at home, um, you know, first service I said, reading or working or doing something but reality maybe I'm at home and I'm playing Madden and I'm you know taking a break (laughs) playing PlayStation doing something to take my mind off things and one of my daughters I'm playing Elden Ring if I'm honest one of my daughters yells out dad help or I I hear him upstairs you know I can tell they're in the the um the bar stools that we tell them not to get into right and they yell help or dad can you help me do this and I just respond I'm frustrated right and then I go into the room and I'm like, oh, how many times have I told you this? That just sucks. <laughs> Imagine being lost. Imagine being scared, crying out to your dad. And he walks in the room and makes you feel like you're a burden. That's not what God does. God joyfully picks you up. He joyfully finds the places where you're wondering. And he puts it on his shoulders. 
That's a picture of salvation. Do you feel that way? That someone wants to save you? That someone wants to joyfully save you? That if you were to look to the person on your left or right and say, here's where I'm wondering. Here's where I'm going astray. Here's where I'm a mess. That that person would look at you and joyfully in their eyes say, let's figure it out together. Let's trust God. Let's pray. Do you feel like that kind of person? Because there are areas in your life that that is happening, that you are lost, that you are going astray. Now, God doesn't, as incredible as that is, right? God seeks, God saves, he picks you up and carries you. But he doesn't stop there. He celebrates. Verse 6, and when he comes home, so he picks up the sheep on his shoulders, joyfully carries it home. He calls his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. Now this makes sense, right? Joyful people celebrate with other people. We've experienced this from time to time, right? Something good happens. We want to tell other people about it. There's this communal aspect of God. He seeks the wandering, broken parts of our lives. Maybe if you're a non-Christian, you're here for the first time. He wants to save you in this moment. Maybe you are a Christian. He seeks those broken areas of your life. He joyfully heals them. He joyfully saves them. And then he wants to celebrate it. Once again, I ask you this morning, do you feel like a person worth celebrating? Do you feel like you are a person that if you told the broken, ugly parts of your life to, people would want to celebrate you? If you've been in the world for more, if you're older than, I don't know, three, you know that that's not true. You know that our world does not celebrate brokenness. But God does. He, want, he joyfully wants to pick you up and celebrate the redemption, the saving, the healing. He wants to celebrate that with other people. He wants to celebrate you. But there is something that comes before this. And it's surrender. God seeks you. God wants to joyfully pick you up. God wants to redeem the broken parts of your life. But it takes, in God's kingdom, it takes surrender. We talked about in Luke 15 that uh, there were three parables that Jesus was telling. So there's two others that go along with this. The first one we talked about a, a lot man who find, a shepherd who finds a lost sheep. The next one is a woman who finds a lost coin. The third is a father who finds a lost son. A lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. What do those have in common? Well, the coin's an inanimate object, so it doesn't work all the way. But the sheep and the son, they surrender. Now, maybe the sheep surrenders because life eventually just entangles him in a bush or just eventually breaks him to a point where he can't run away and the shepherd's right there to pick him up. Or it's the son who surrenders his will, if you're familiar with Luke 15, and and turns and runs back home. Surrender is a hard word. 
It's not something we often celebrate. Because in our world, people who surrender, what happens? Well, we're unfortunately watching Ukraine right now. We're watching a war. If they were to surrender, what would happen? They would get trampled on. They would lose their power. Maybe they would lose relationships. Or probably the most important thing to us in the West, people who surrender lose their personal agency. They lose free will. They lose the ability to call the shots. That scares us. But in God's kingdom, on the other side of surrender is being found, being saved, joy, celebration. That's on the other side of surrender. So this morning, we ask ourselves, Lord, as we're on this journey to inherit the world, to inherit the earth, to be people who are rolling back the darkness around this land, looking to Jesus, where are we going astray? Where are we finding power? Where are we, man, if we could just maybe get the right people elected, that'll make it all better. Or maybe we say, you know, Jesus, you're calling me to connect with my neighbor or love my enemy, and I just don't want to do it. If I had to guess, for most of us, I think this one might be a good one. There's probably some secret sin in your life right now that is destroying a relationship close to you. You might not even know what it is. You might know what it is. But there might be some brokenness that keeps you from engaging with other people in healthy ways. Now, maybe you know it. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's hurt. I don't know what it is, but it's, ca- it's multiplying and it's causing you to go astray. This morning... Jesus would love nothing more than to take that broken area of your life and bend down like a shepherd and pick it up and put it on his shoulders and carry it home. Will you stand with us this morning? We're going to, as is our practice, we're going to sing a song. Why do we do this? We just sing a song to give Jeremy time to get onto the lobby? No. I want you to bring that part of your life where you sense the going astray. You sense the brokenness. And I want you to pray. You don't have to pray out loud. You can just, in your heart, talk to God. Lord, I am weak. I am broken. I need help. And then we're going to sing a song. And that song is a way that we can say words that we, we, we can't put them together in our mouths. So we're going to sing a song. Before we do that, let me pray. Holy Spirit, in this moment, you want to do some shepherding. In this moment, you want to gently tap us on the shoulder. You want to put your finger right on that wound, right on that part that's going astray. And you want to say, can I I pick this up? Lord, make us brave. Make us brave enough to surrender. 
As we sing this song, Lord, would you put that picture in our head of us giving away those broken parts, us being scooped up by God.